Many startups today begin their life as an open source project. Open source projects allow early adopters of technology to experiment, to contribute code and feedback, and to shape the evolution of the project in its early stages. When a community maintainer company emerges to provide service offerings based on that project, its early customer base often consists of contributors to the open source project who have already had experience with the technology, but want a more fully featured offering. Orbit is a community experience platform that provides insights on activity for open source and proprietary projects. Orbit is founded on the Orbit model, which it describes as a framework for building high-gravity companies, that is, developer communities with passionate and engaged contributors. The Orbit model is offered as an alternative to traditional sales and marketing funnels that gives a focus on cultivating early adopters for a project. Patrick Woods and Josh Zeliak are the co-founders of Orbit. They join the show to talk about the importance of an active and passionate community for projects and how Orbit helps maintainers grow and shape their users' experience, as well as how they see Orbit evolving in the future. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Really excited to be here. I want to start off with a simple question. The role of developer relations. This was kind of a subtle throwaway role for a while, I think. It was, you know, in the early days of developer relations, it was somebody who just like managed the documentation or fielded random questions from the community. But developer relations has really become a pivotal role within companies. Tell me about how developer relations has evolved. Yeah, great question. Uh, happy to speak to that, Josh, here. You know, I think developer relations has come a long way. And the most recent wave that started, I would say, around the Twilio and Stripe right after 2010, 11, 12, 13, I think those are some of the first companies that started to take developer relations really seriously. I'd put Firebase in that mix, too where the, all of the early success of those companies in the early adoption could be tracked back to the kind of activities that their developer advocates or founders or all of the early employees were doing. So as we saw that, that big uptake in API-driven companies, again, at the, the start of the last decade, that's where I think we really started to see developer relations become more of a serious team inside of these developer-facing businesses. And tell me about the problems that developer relations members deal with like or i guess take me through a day in the life of a developer relations person what are they doing what kinds of tools are they working with and what kinds of challenges are they encountering yeah absolutely you know as mentioned before documentation and developer experience is a big part of what developer advocate or developer evangelist is thinking about and that might mean they're building those assets. A lot of developer advocates are actually the ones building the documentation site, maintaining it, writing the code to do that, keeping it up to date. But then a lot of the tools of the trade of a developer evangelist are the ones to create awareness for the products. So that can be anything from the tools that they use to create talks. These days, it's a lot of streaming, so video services like YouTube and Twitch. And as well as a lot of the, the tools that the, the rest of the company uses in order to stay in touch with customers and, and community members. And sometimes that can be spreadsheets, sometimes it's more marketing tools. But when I was a developer advocate, I had to be familiar with almost every system in the company, both the engineering systems, because I was contributing to Codebase, especially around the documentation, and then also the customer-facing systems, because I was constantly meeting customers, meeting community members out in the field or on GitHub issues and pull requests. So the tools for a developer advocate in the day in the life really varies between proactive, I'm building stuff, I'm putting it out there, and reactive, here's a community member, they're trying to build a thing, how can I help them build that thing? They're stuck, can I do support? Do I need to get in touch with one of our engineers to help? So it's really the, the balance of the proactive and the reactive between building and 
and evangelizing, building and speaking, writing that characterize the role, I would say. Yeah, and I would just add to that, there's this classification of thinking about the overlap between code, content, and community. And in sort of just to zoom out of, of what Josh was saying there, I think many folks characterize their role as a sort of distribution of their time and effort across those three areas. And it can depend on the company strategy and the individual's goals for the quarter in terms of how they spend that time. But I think about that code content community breakdown uh, pretty frequently when helping people understand the role and its impact. There's a lot of disparate tools is what I'm hearing from you guys and I think what you're working on is bringing together some of that spread out tool heterogeneity. Tell me about how the disparate tooling creates problems or bottlenecks in workflows. One thing we like to say is that community is distributed. And so we observe that and we see that happening in a lot of developer communities. First and foremost, we have GitHub mailing lists, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Discourse, maybe GitHub Discussions, the new, new thing from GitHub. The community is taking place across a lot of different channels, and the problems that presents are measuring it, attributing what parts of the community, what channels are actually helping it grow, and just getting, as a practitioner, as someone doing it day-to-day, being able to keep tabs on that many different services, which may also include a Discord or a Slack or both of them. We see people having that too. So where the developers want to go is where we have to meet them. And that can be very hard if it's in a lot of different places. So that's one of the challenges. When you when you have that data in one place, it's a lot easier to be able to measure the progress that you're making and manage the workload when you have to bounce around everywhere. And then that's obviously harder. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to have in-depth conversations with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of developer relations leaders, community builders, things like that, and really to dig into their challenges. And you might be surprised to learn that the sort of simple questions of who is in the community and what are they doing is a non-trivial question to answer for most companies and projects of any substantial size. And it comes back to the distribution of that data across different channels. And the vast majority of our of our customers, before they started using, you know, Orbit or a tool like us, the spreadsheet was the state of the art in terms of understanding the impact of their efforts. And pretty much everyone we've, we've spoken with has had a, a Google sheet with one tab for tracking, you know, the number of pull requests, another tab, just counting the number of Twitter followers and, you know, pull requests and Twitter follows and discussions on the forums. Those are very different data types. And it's kind of like apples to oranges. And so we found that our, the frontline folks, the DevRels, the community team, just didn't have the data to make decisions about how to work with the community, how to prioritize, how to deliver a great experience. And then that meant that their bosses, whether that's a VP of DevRel or marketing or what have you, didn't have the data to tell the story about the impact of those organizations. And so, yeah, you're, you're spot on with your question. The distributed nature of the community is a big driver of both the challenges of these roles, but also the opportunity of, of understanding what's going on at scale. And it's a lot of what we think about trying to solve for. You guys work on Orbit, which is a community experience developer relations platform. Can you describe what Orbit does? Sure. Happy to describe a bit of that. And then, Patrick, you can pick it up from there. So Orbit as a tool connects to all the different platforms where developer activity takes place, like GitHub, Twitter, Discourse, Slack, Soon, uh, Discord, many other services through our Zapier integration. Connects to all of these different places and it solves some of those key questions or helps teams answer them, the ones that Patrick was mentioning, like who is in my community, what are they doing, 
how is my community trending over time? How's our gravity, as we like to call it in the orbit model? Are we bringing more people in than we're losing? And so the orbit really serves as a single pane of glass into the developer community where someone working in developer relations or an open source maintainer or a founder of a developer-facing startup can see in one place everything that's happening across their ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's right. I think getting the data into the platform is one part of the story and then the sort of what next question that comes after that. So Orbit, the platform provides tools like lots of charts and reports to query the data and understand the the impact of different initiatives. So, you know, if you did a meetup last month, did that contribute to an uptick in Twitter conversations or forum discussions or more pull requests? Has anybody joined the community lately that has a lot of Twitter followers? Because maybe you just want to know that. But for many of our users, it's, it's, it's questions like who's been the most active over the past day, week or month? You know, who's doing a lot of activity such that we can recognize and, you know, celebrate those folks internally and out in the community as well to, you know, help further the aims of the community, whether it's more contributions or, or higher quality contributions or whatever the specific goals and strategy are for that for that particular time. One thing we like to say is manage relationships, not spreadsheets. And we hope that using Orbit gives a lot of that relationship time back to the community builder because they're not spending their day in spreadsheets trying to come up with a you know, spending hours a week reporting results to leadership or minutes at a time tracking down contact information. Yeah, it's a great point. So many of our of our users were essentially human ETL pipelines before Orbit, where they were like copying and pasting data between various things and trying to normalize data from from various platforms. And you know, you just spend hours per week doing that stuff, and it's not terribly rewarding work for most folks, and it distracts from what community builders are great at, which is actually building those communities and relationships. So that's a big thing we think about a lot is, is, you know, how can we reduce the manual input and the manual labor associated with the self-actualization that comes with community building? You know, can we get people out of spreadsheets and into more conversations? Could you give an example of how a company is using Orbit, just kind of comprehensively how it assists the company from a number of different angles? Sure. Take a stab at an example. We've got a few. One of my favorites is the team at Typeform uses Orbit to understand what's happening with their developer community and deliver a great experience to, to new developers coming into the platform. So many folks know Typeform as the, the form company, sort of a B2B or consumer solution. But they do have a developer platform, and a guy named Nicolas Granier runs that program. And one of our early community members and users of Orbit, so he uses Orbit to give him some leverage in terms of managing that part of the business. And so one specific example is when when someone registers for an API key with Typeform, that event, the sort of request event is logged as a as an activity inside of the Orbit platform, which means he can see quickly in one place everyone who's done that. But he also has instrumented his workflow using Zapier and some other tools to send an email out to those folks that have gotten the API key saying, hey, you know, Nico from Typeform here, I'm the DevRel lead and would love to have a conversation with you about what you're planning on building, you know, here's the Calendly link, grab 15 minutes. And it's a pretty interesting way for him to, you know, orchestrate that workflow. And basically on the back end, it's, it, he uses a sort of a, essentially, and this is getting in the weeds, but I guess that's the spirit of the question. He essentially looks up in orbit. Is this a new member to the community? And if so, send this email. If not, don't send that email because I already know this person. They don't want to get spam for me, whatever. And so what he's found is that those, those initial outreach conversations or emails have driven lots of 
lots of, of sort of conversion, quote unquote, to actual phone calls with developers getting started for the first time. And I think for the most part, you know, most developers aren't interested in jumping on as just jumping onto a Zoom call with someone arbitrarily. But I think he's found that the right message at the right time to the right person has really made a difference in terms of building that relationship and, you know, converting those people into advocates. And so for him, it means he's not having to manually monitor the queue essentially of, of new API keys requested and kind of look up, is this new, is this person an existing member or whatever that all happens automatically. And so he can actually focus his time on just jumping on those Calendly meetings, those meetings when Calendly schedules them to deliver that experience. Now on the back end, he's got Orbit as sort of a CRM style tool where he can see who that email has been sent to, who's jumped on the call. You know, he uses Orbit to take notes and add context from those conversations. So he has all of those touch points in a single place. And so that's, that's for me, a pretty great example of using the the data inside of Orbit to trigger lots of activities and really use it as a central, I almost said a central point of inspiration, which might be true. But what I meant to say was a single point of orchestration across those different, those different tools. Josh, I don't know if you, if you have any others that really stand out for you as great examples. The only other one I'd add is around uh, reporting. You know, we see a lot, a lot of users who are download the reports that we produce directly in Orbit around members, activities, or metrics related to our own Orbit model, and those those are going directly into their slide decks to share with their boss or to the executive team. Yeah, so that that's another another thing that we try to make really easy is that reporting about the community. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's not a, sp- a specific company necessarily, but it is the maybe the most common use case, which is, you know, the impact of community building isn't quite as direct as as perhaps like a revenue metric where, you know, you run an ad and somebody purchases something and it's it's a very close coupling of input to output. And so what we try to do with the reporting suite in Orbit is help folks have a combination of essentially leading indicators about what's working and what's not across whatever integration they have plugged in. So how are things looking on GitHub? How are they looking in the Slack community? How are they looking on Discourse? And yeah, to Josh's point, we've heard tons of stories about folks putting those in board decks, putting those in pitch decks even, because for many early stage open source companies, the path to revenue is not super clear yet. And yet you still want to measure how are things going directionally with with the community. And so that's, I think, a niche Orbit's been able to fill is providing those you know, founders of open source, open core companies, a lot of telemetry around what's trending, how things are going overall, and then having more meaningful conversations about how the community is being built versus just you know counting number of stars, for example. This is kind of a adjunct question to questions about software engineering, but I think it's relevant to your tool. What's the relationship between developer relations and sales departments? That's a great question. I think that developer relations and and sales, even though their objectives are often quite different, they are, tend to be two of the teams inside of an organization that have the best pulse on uh, customers and community members who are out there in the field. So when I've done developer relations in the past, I worked closely with the sales team. My goals were to build the community. They weren't to move leads and opportunities down the funnel. But there's a lot of interplay and back and forth that can happen between the teams that's helpful to the goals of both. Developer relations can provide warm introductions to community members at interesting companies. Maybe five people from a Fortune 500 company have started contributing to the open source effort of of a company. Developer advocate is a good position to know that that's happening, to know who those people are, and to facilitate the right kind of introduction to a sales team that is more likely to lead lead to a good result than just finding uh, someone's email and emailing, emailing them cold. In the other direction... 
through the stream of new customers, Sales is able to recommend a lot of developers over in the direction of the community. They're able to point a lot of the community members in that direction. So the developer relations team really benefits there. Building enterprise community is a really great example of that where sales after a deal is closed, the question is, well, how are these developers getting up to speed on the new technology? What's their training path? Are they getting to know people? Do they know where everything is? And developer relations is uniquely suited to answer a lot of those questions. So the short answer is that there's there's great handoffs that can happen in both directions. The thing to watch out for, of course, is the, the data finding itself in the wrong hands of someone, however good their intention. We don't recommend that you know community data be just put in Salesforce and, and put into the same outreach queues as the rest of the other data, because usually community members haven't opted into that kind of communication. So one thing we, we think about at Orbit quite a bit is what's the right data that should be shared between the DevRel and the sales team so that each can do their jobs. And so that organizationally, when it's a fast pace, things are flying around, that community members don't end up being the result of outreach that wasn't really appropriate for them. At a high level, we think a lot about teams inside the company. You know, Some teams are oriented around capturing value, you know, optimizing the sales funnel, for example, and extracting, you know, terms of a deal, whatever. And some teams in the organization are aligned around creating value for the community, for users, for, you know, other folks like that. And so, you know, I I think the DevRel team, community team, folks like that are usually oriented around value creation uh, in the form of training, docs, community connections, things like that. And sales teams are often more around the value capture side of things. I think understanding who's doing what is really important in that relationship because those are both useful orientations in a business setting. But Josh had some excellent points around orchestrating that handoff and really asking yourself, what is the appropriate experience for every, every person that's involved in this, in this relationship? Orbit is built around something called the Orbit model. Can you describe what the Orbit model is? Sure. Yeah, happy to talk about that. And Patrick, feel free to, to jump in at any time or, or after. So the, the Orbit model is a visual canvas for community building. It places community members at different levels from the center. If you can imagine a solar system that's laid in a two-dimensional flat piece of paper, you've got the sun at the center, and that's the team or the project. That's the thing that the community is coalescing around. And at varying distances from that center, you have community members. These community members are orbiting the community as they do various things, as they participate in various ways. And we break the orbits down into four concentric circles that represent the degree of engagement that the community member has. Starting with the inner circle, the inside, we call those advocates. The next members out we call contributors, participants, and observers. And the the labels aren't perfect, and depending on the community, their labels might be different. But it gets at the idea that the member is at a different part in their journey as they go through these different orbits and as they go around the system. And it's okay sometimes for a member to go from the third orbit level to the first orbit level as their engagement increases. And then maybe they change a job or they start using a different technology and they come back out for a little while. One of the differences with the funnel and the orbit model is that in the orbit model, it's okay to go backwards. It's okay to go out for a little while before you come back in. Just in, in the funnel world, as soon as you're out of the funnel, it's kind of like, well, we have other leads. You know, We're not worried about you right now. But in the, the longer term, kind of non-binary, non-linear version of the, or the model that the orbit has, there's a difference there. 
So I think that those are kind of the the summary concepts. We love the space analogy, and we you know are commonly sharing assets internally of our our own community members flying around like they're on rocket ships. But that's how we think about their member experience and the the overall member journey that we're trying to give them. And people, our community members who are practicing the orbit model, that's how they're thinking about it too. Yeah, the the whole idea for the Orbit model was, you know, really born out of a, a frustration we were sensing with our customers and our community with the sort of sales and marketing funnel being the only mental model anyone has inside of a business. If anybody's ever been in any type of meeting in a quote unquote business, then like the funnel is a thing that people are going to talk about. And, you know, it's kind of like that old, that old aphorism, you know, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so we found that inside of companies, this led to questions like, you know, how many leads did we get from the forum last week? And, or how many, how many leads came from the meetup? And for those that have experience with the community building, you know, that that's not quite exactly the appropriate question to ask for a lot of reasons, but it's hard to describe exactly why. And so the orbit model is really our attempt to model from first principles, how communities are actually shaped and how they grow. And it's, it's not linear and binary, like a, like the funnel metaphor, but it is concentric and the goals are less, it's less about extracting value and more about increasing the love and reach of the members of your community. So we found that by providing, you know, different levers, love and reach specifically, it changes the conversation around what you're trying to to build for and measure and optimize. So to use the funnel as kind of the, the counter metaphor, it's like, in the funnel world, it's it's how do we optimize every phase of this, every stage of this funnel to get more and more out of each step. But in orbit model land, it's more about how can we increase the love of our community or how can we increase the reach of the individuals in it? And we found that, that those questions orient teams and companies around much more meaningful conversations around how to actually build and measure the community. So to Josh's point, both a visual canvas to help have these conversations, but you know the, the model also comes with some ideas around how to measure to measure love and reach, believe it or not. <laughs> we do think love love is measurable over time. So that's the orbit model. That's right. And I'll add that it's open source. It lives on GitHub. So anyone wishing to learn or to you know, have a conversation about it, it's an ongoing conversation. And the mathematics and some of the formulas are actually in there being debated on uh, GitHub. So that can be kind of fun, fun to check out for the mathematically inclined. There's a wide array of integrations that you have between Orbit and other platforms like Discord or Discourse or Twitter or GitHub. Tell me about the integration surface between Orbit and all these other platforms. Yeah, I'd say the two core the pieces of data that are flowing between Orbit and these platforms are the community members and then the activities that they're doing. So I could take GitHub, as an example, GitHub is the first integration that we built because it was the most in demand by our developer community builders. And so from the GitHub integration, we're able to create profiles for each member who's done an issue, a pull request, a star. Basically, there's a a set of event types that happen on GitHub, and we're able to import a subset of those that we think represent real community activity. And then create profiles for those members and also show an, an activity history inside of Orbit. So the the activity stream that's coming in allows us to calculate that love and it allows to show that in the the user interface. But the the main surface area from the integrations or our API, the the same code that we build the integrations on top of is available for anyone to call via the API. The the main things flowing back and forth are the the members and the the activities, which is essentially anything that a member does. Yeah, an activity is is basically just a a verb that you want to keep track of. 
So started the repo, submitted a PR, followed on Twitter, joined the forum, you know, replied on Slack, submitted a form, you know, whatever, whatever is meaningful for you as a, as a company, as a community, we make it really easy to send, send those in via the integrations or, or the API and the Zapier app. Lots of folks use the Zapier app to do some fun stuff too. Tell me about some of the biggest engineering challenges you've had when building Orbit. The biggest one has been the extent of the third third party APIs that we work with and that we try to normalize into one kind of homogenous single pane of glass view for our customers. So the, the GitHub API is, is one example where we have a lot of different types of data that are coming in there, like the pull requests, the issues, the GitHub stars, things like that. And we have to we need a data model that can support all of those, but at the same time also discourse topics, discourse posts, Twitter mentions, Twitter follows, lots of different types of activities. So and then custom activities, which is anyone that someone can create through the API. So a lot of the engineering challenge has been designing that in a way where it's powerful but it's also approachable, and where we can support in the future hundreds of integrations to lots of different community tools and still have those create a a sensible end experience for the user who's looking at member profiles, looking at activity timelines. And then I think for the the third-party APIs too, that's just the question of learning all of the quirks. You know, there's a lot you can learn about an API from its documentation, but calling that API several times a minute every day for a year is going to tell you a lot more about it. So we've uncovered some of the quirks of the GitHub API. We found a very interesting certain undocumented limits, like you can only get 400 pages worth of results for some repositories for performance reasons. That's a good one that if anyone else has used the GitHub API, maybe you've run, run into that. But there are things that are not documented, and so we've we've just had to build some, some things around there. But I think by and large, really both in the engineering and the product design side, it's taking these disparate types of communities, these different disparate channels where community happens and making that into a seamless experience, both for developers working on our code base and also for the end user who's sitting in front of the tool. The only thing I would add to that is that some communities are are very large. Kubernetes is an example of one community that we work with, and that's a a lot of activity coming from a place uh, like that. So us, just in terms of scalability, has been some, an interesting thing engineering team-wise in the last uh, six months as the, the company and some of our the, the larger projects, open source or commercial that we have, have, have grown, talking the you know, potentially tens of thousands of activities a month coming from some of those places. So give a little more detail about how the Orbit platform can be used to build custom workflows. And what would be an example of a custom workflow? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple of ways to answer that. There's what's going on today, and then there's some pretty exciting stuff on the roadmap as well that uh, we actually demoed this morning in all hands. But you know, we found that the community builders all have their own workflows and playbooks, and so it's been really fun for us to learn what everyone's doing. And so some common ones are, uh, sort of I alluded to earlier, a lot of times you just want to know who's been the most active contributor for the past month. And so a common workflow is, you know, once you've integrated all your platforms into Orbit, you know, your GitHub, your Twitter, your forum, what have you, it's really easy to see who's been the most active. And you can see that across all those channels or at the channel level as well. And so some of our users will actually highlight and shout out their most active members from those different channels. And so it's like, hey, here's, 
you know, here's the three people that were most active across the whole community this past month, you know, shout out to them for being amazing, you know, grabbing their information and just and dropping into the newsletter essentially to highlight them or even mentioning them on Twitter to say thanks, you know, recognizing, rewarding and acknowledging community members is such a big part of the, the workflow. And so, you know, Orbit makes it really easy to, to see those folks and quickly mention them and celebrate them. Today, that, that last, the sort of last mile to that is off platform essentially. So someone would see that list of people inside of Orbit and quickly grab their Twitter handles, for example, and then compose a tweet. What's coming soon is some automation or some, I guess, some semi-automation at the, at, the, at the end of that step, essentially, to help people actually close that loop, if you will. And so actually sending the tweet from Orbit or sending a webhook to another system based on a, a rule set that's been instrumented. We see people using the concept of tags pretty heavily to build workflows. So Inside of Orbit, you can tag members with with different labels, any arbitrary label that you'd like. So common use cases are, you know, using labels, using tags to keep track of champions program members or users of specific products or, you know, members who have contributed a lot in the past. And so we see people even using tags to follow up on things. So adding a, a tag called follow up and then being able to quickly just go to the members table, for example, and seeing everyone that you owe a follow-up to. And so the specific workflows are, are pretty unique and specific to the community and what they're what they're trying to do. And coming up soon is some pretty interesting orchestration around sending alerts and webhooks to other systems based on rule sets inside of Orbit. So you could say that anytime someone with a, with a tag VIP has a pull request merged or, or, or submitted, then send me an alert to the VIP Slack channel so we can make sure that that was a great experience. So it's for us becoming a pretty interesting conversation of using the data that's inside the platform to then you know trigger cool stuff and useful things across other other tools as well. You know, I would say another workflow that is a little less workflow and more just common task is hanging out in the activities feed inside of Orbit. So the activities feed basically aggregates activity from any channel that's been integrated as well as the API. And so it's essentially like the one tab in the browser that shows you stuff that's happening in your GitHub, on Twitter, you know, in your forum, whatever. And so we know that a lot of our members just hang out there and lots of folks just leave that tab open and, you know, quickly respond to issues as they emerge. If anybody with a lot of reach shows up, they usually will reach out to them and say, hello, welcome them to the community manually. If they notice a you know, multiple comments on a particular issue, that may be some reason for them to go and investigate more deeply. So at some point, it boils down to just visibility about what's happening across all the various channels and giving the, you know, giving the team leverage because you only have so many eyeballs that can look at so many tabs at once. You know, by aggregating all that data in one place, it seems to be a useful way to help folks just quickly triage and, you know, react where appropriate, just in service of delivering a, a better experience overall. So today you've got a system that ingests lots of information from lots of these different content and community platforms. You can use it as a system for defining workflows, a system for storing your catalog of different members, of different community members. How does that compare to the overall vision of what you're trying to do with Orbit? What is the long-term vision and what are you building towards? I'd say the long-term vision is to make community builders, community professionals, developer advocates successful in their roles and give them the kind of capabilities and the seat at the table inside of the companies that they they work in along with their colleagues from other teams like marketing, sales, product, and, and engineering. So we one of the things that we test all of our product feature ideas against is, is this helping our, our users successfully build their communities and 
build their teams, get resources and budget where it's appropriate. And so I think that that's usually one of the litmus tests that we use when thinking about new product features. Is this giving time back? Is this rolling up to the vision of making it easier to build communities and making the people who do it more successful in their in their roles? Yeah, we've seen firsthand the impact of a thriving community on a, on a business, both on the business itself, as well as the self-actualization of the community members as well. So we're excited to provide the infrastructure and the tooling to help operationalize all of the things that we know work well, and then give folks the data to prove that it's working. And so I think this is how we mature the field and ensure that DevRel teams and community teams and people that are focused on creating value, that they have the the resources and the credibility and really the the influence inside the organization the same way that, you know, a customer success person does or a, a salesperson does. Those folks can all just push a few buttons and have a lot of reports to show the impact. And community hasn't really had that. It's been a manual game to this point, as we mentioned, <laughs> related to spreadsheets. And so we're hoping we can provide the the level of tooling and infrastructure to help this whole new way of, of thinking about creating value and going to market in the same way that other CRMs and marketing tools have kind of figured out the the what we would say the the linear funnel based worldview of today. How does the community building process compare between or a company based on open source software and a company based on closed source software? I think one example would be the what you're hoping for community members to to do or to make and how you guide them toward that. So in, in an open source project, very often it's the contributions themselves. You're managing a, a contributor community that has a, a core team, some casual contributors, maybe a long tail, and it's about improving that project there. In the case of a, a closed source, like an API or a, a SaaS solution, that it's not necessarily the core that's, you know, it's not the core that's trying to be improved. So the question is, what kind of contributions are we trying to encourage developers to make? And a lot of times that's building and sharing the things they're building on top of the technology. A lot of times it's content, writing about their experiences, or sharing their code, their integration code, their projects, so that other developers can pick them up and be inspired from them. So a lot of the, a lot of the things are the same, I would say, but instead of guiding members toward making contributions to the project directly in the code. It's more about showcasing their experience, connecting with other community members. This is how we're using the tool. This is what we're building. But I think a lot of the things are fundamentally similar. Even products that are not open source tend to have other open source projects around them. SDKs, for example, you know, the companies that I've worked at, even if they were closed source to the core, there was SDKs, other projects, things that were open source. And those are things that I would encourage developers in our community to contribute to, to make, or, or just to use because it maybe solved the problem that they had. Yeah. And it seems like in, in open source companies, much of the focus is, is on the building, the project itself, to Josh's point. And then what we see for companies for whom open source isn't as big a part of their effort, there's a lot of emphasis on skilling up and leveling up and the community, you know, community members helping each other get more effective, sharing ideas, you know, becoming power users. You know, we see this in our own community. It's kind of kind of meta orbit on orbit, but our community members are very active in, in channels on our Discord, such as the show and tell channel, where people talk about the different flows they're building on top of the API or stuff they're doing with Zapier. You know, some folks have built connectors to Orbit and other automation services like N8N. The DevRel there built an Orbit node for that. And, you know, that's a conversation that happens in show and tell. And people asking questions like, how 
you know, how can I better run reports to show the impact? You know, just sort of like practical application of, of the tool itself. And so I think for communities that aren't specifically around open source, that's where you see a lot of the emphasis is kind of, you know, co-education, if you will, and, you know, sharing best practices, ideas, hacks, and things like that. Do you use Orbit to manage your own community? <laughs> yes. I love this question. It's where I spend most of my day. And that also means that our product team in Orbit probably really loathes me because I tend to find all of the edge cases and <laughs> all of the weird issues. Yeah, it's been fun to build a couple of things at once. And what I mean by that is, is you know, we've, we've got the Orbit model concept that we're constantly refining. We have Orbit, the platform, you know, the, the software we've been talking about today that we're building and learning about. And then we have our own community of early power users, essentially. We've kind of been building all three at once. And it's been really, really fun for me because I've seen the overlap in those areas. And so, you know, the community really started a couple of years ago when Josh and I were consulting in the DevRel space before starting Orbit. And the Orbit model started its life as a blog post. And we put it on a repo and people started committing and you know, the community kind of started there and then we, you know, started a company and built a product and we've learned from our community at every step of the way around the high level concepts like the Orbit model, but also like specifics of the, their day to day and understanding how we can use software to alleviate a lot of the boring manual stuff and give them superpowers. And so I've been, you know, user number one of Orbit essentially to help identify the folks in our community who were are contributing a lot or people who were who were active a few months ago and, and who we haven't heard from in a while. Maybe I should reach out to them. We've instrumented things like our, our product milestones into Orbit as well. So when someone creates an Orbit account, I can see that in our Orbit workspace. When they start inviting users, that's a pretty neat milestone. So I, I can see that in our workspace as well. So I can, at the individual level, it's pretty powerful to be able to see that, you know, a year ago, someone started the repo and then followed us on Twitter. And then now today they're using us and they just invited five people to their workspace. So that for me is a, a great reason to reach out and say hello. And so, you know, those are some, I've got lots of workflows that I use, specifically tagging and notes pretty extensively. We have notes just like many CRMs would, but Two cool things about notes in Orbit is that they show up on that activity timeline I mentioned earlier. So if I drop meeting notes into a profile, everyone in the company can see those notes in the flow of the activities, which is great for context sharing. But also the index of notes are, the content of notes are indexed for search. So if we're searching for specific ideas later, we can see that inside of Orbit as well. So that's a dangerous question to ask me because I have <laughs> lots, lots to say about it. It is quite meta, I will admit, but it's been very fun to essentially co-build our solution alongside the community as we've learned and I've learned alongside of them as well. Well, as we begin to draw to a close, I'd love to get your guys' perspective on the future of software in general. You set it a very unique position, building a pretty unique product. I haven't seen anything like Orbit. So tell me just how you see the world of software evolving in the next five to 10 years. I think I continue to see the increase of open source and, and open core companies in particular, companies that are founded around open source projects. We're able to see from, from our customer base just how fast that trend is increasing. So I think there's some interesting things that will happen just to the business landscape in general when we have these companies built around open source projects that have had to get good at building a community. Because if, if that's a big part of what a company is doing that's just so important. And so what I what I think we're going to see is the the rise of more yeah, more of these companies where there's some community that's very early on in their DNA or they think about their customer 
base through that lens, and that kind of shapes the rest of the organization. So I'm really interesting to see how is the structure of organizations that build, create, maintain, market, and sell software, how is that going to change in the next five to 10 years? And I think it's going to become more about bottoms-up adoption, more about full life cycle, member management of communities, more individualistic in that sense, and more contributors, hopefully more maintainable software as we, we kind of put the, the burden of contribution or the opportunity of contribution on top of more people rather than just the core. So th- these are some of the, the areas that I'm excited about. Yeah, and I would add the big shift that I've seen in the past really year has been the really pressure from an early stage investors for founders to have a community strategy. This is something that even, I don't know, two or three years ago, we really didn't see. And there was, there was a time that you sort of alluded to at the beginning of the conversation where ideas like DevRel were kind of like, I don't know, a nice to have or some something some adjacent to the business sort of functional area. But today, early stage founders are being asked, like, before they start the company, what's your community strategy? How are you going to drive bottom-up adoption? And that's a big shift from where we even saw it even a year or maybe 18 months ago. So that's, I think, a pretty big shift in, in how, maybe less about how software is built, but how software companies are built. And I think that's really quite exciting for me to, to see. Yeah, I think we're seeing that first developer relations or advocacy hire for these companies move within the first five and definitely the first 10 people. Whereas more of two, three, five years ago, it was a question of 20 people, 30 people, you know, some of the more forward thinking companies, I think we're doing it earlier, but now it's, that's moving up. And that just represents a shift in those priorities around building the community. And ultimately, I hope it leads to better software because we're getting more feedback into these companies from the community and from real users as things are unfolding, the way we get great products is by having a lot of early adopters you know, banging on it and testing it and giving feedback and building a community is an amazing way to make sure you've got real feedback coming in. So I'm optimistic around that for the how that plays into the field of creating software because sometimes we, we know that sometimes software isn't good because there just wasn't enough early users to really shape it the right way and give it the features that it needs. So I'm optimistic for the feedback coming in for the community to help improve the software that gets created. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Thanks a lot for having us. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks so much.